Father in heaven, I want to thank you for uh, another day, Lord. Will you allow me to wake and, uh, Father, have breath and opportunity to serve the one true king, the creator of heaven and earth. Lord, I thank you for uh, the men who have um, invested in this study, who have chosen to make this a priority. And I pray, Lord, that this would not be just simply a Bible study that uh, we check the box off in, over the next several weeks together, but, Lord, one in which you fully capture our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you'd take books like Joel and Nahum and uh, Malachi, and I pray, Lord, that you would use those books, Lord, to, sh- to reveal to us the truth of your word. I thank you, Father, for a book like Jonah, which we're familiar with, Lord, but I pray that it would provide us with greater insight, Lord, into what it is you're truly trying to communicate to us today. We love you, we thank you, and we ask your blessings upon our time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, my name is Blake Holmes, and uh, I have the privilege of being the equipping pastor here at Watermark, which is uh, a fancy way of saying I have the best job in the world, if you ask me. And what that simply means is that I get to uh, help guys and gals learn what God's Word has to say, Figure out then how do we apply it to our lives and then lead others. And that's the heart of Summit. Our hope, gang, is not that you would just come in on a Thursday morning and hear from a talking head like me, and you'll hear from various people over the next seven weeks, but that you'd come in and that uh, you will have done your time studying God's Word. You will learn God's Word. That you wouldn't just become a smarter sinner, right, having learned God's Word, but that you would then understand what true wisdom is and applying it to your life. And then as a follower of Christ, you would be that salt and that light that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount and then would be able to lead others also. That's our hope. That's our prayer. Our time will be divided into a short time here, gathered together uh, as a large group, and then we'll break into smaller groups. And Bobby will tell you a little bit more about that when I close here in a second. But uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with what we're doing at Watermark, we have a little thing called The Journey. And so you can go to jointhejourney.com and uh, sign up to join us as we purpose to read through Scripture together throughout the year. And this year we're focusing on the prophets. Now the prophets, uh, obviously, are those pages that uh, most of us neglect in Scriptures. When we were just wondering, hey, where should we read today? We might turn to the Old Testament if we want to read Psalms or Proverbs. But if we're not in Psalms and Proverbs, we'll probably open up the New Testament, right? And uh, Bobby did a series this last summer called The Sticky Pages, uh, just simply because it's those prophets that when you open up your Bible right there, they stick together, right? Because they have not been cracked and have not been opened. But we believe that the prophets... Uh, are as inspired as Philippians, Romans, or anything else you would have found find in the New Testament. And they're there for a reason, for us to learn and apply their message of yesterday to today's context. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at four minor prophets. Joel, Jonah, Nahum, and Malachi. Joel, Jonah, Nahum, and Malachi. Now, Joel, which we'll look at over the, uh, today and next week, is one of those that's probably the least familiar to you of all of these. 
Jonah is one that I know many of you have heard of um, and probably have different thoughts on. But uh, And I look forward to our time being able to talk about Jonah because I, I bet that book is not, it's the intent of that book is not what you think it is. It's not about a great fish. Although that is part of the story, that is not the point of the story. We'll look at Nahum and we'll also look at Malachi, four minor prophets, um, which I think will encourage and challenge each of you. So stick with us and uh, we'll dig in together and see what the contemporary message is from the Old Testament prophets are. Now, whenever you read a book anywhere in Scripture, or if you ever read a book or a newspaper article, you always want to understand what is the context. So what I want to do here is I want to set the table for you so that you can understand the time in which the Israelite, in which the prophets wrote, and also understand just how your Old Testament is structured together. So uh, this morning, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to show you how your Old Testament's put together. Then I'm going to give you a little bit of historical context for which the books uh, are written. And then we're going to look specifically at Joel. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, turn simply to the table of contents. Right? When in doubt, start there. Now, your Old Testament is broken up into three parts. You have 17 historical books. You have five poetical books and 17 prophetical books. 17, 5, 17. So if you're looking at your table of contents, you want to draw a line right underneath Esther. It's all right to write in those Bibles. Just draw a line right underneath Esther. So from Genesis to Esther, those are the historical books. They all tell the history or the story of Israel. There's 17 of them. Then draw a line under Song of Solomon. From Job to Song of Solomon, those are poetical books. And then the remaining 17 are prophetical books. Isaiah through Malachi. So... The way in which the Old Testament books are arranged, it is not arranged in chronological order. They are grouped by category, by genre, if you will. History, poets, prophets. Now, to even narrow that down a little bit more, if you have 17 historical books, of those 17, only 11 tell the uh, story, if you will, give the chronology of Israel's history, and the, ele- the remaining six just add color to the story that is told within the primary historical books. Okay? So if you want to understand the story of the Old Testament, essentially all you have to do is read 11 books, not 39 books. Because all the other books just add color to the story that is told within those 11. And so what you see up here behind me is what I refer to as the primary historical books, those 11 books. If you were to read Genesis, Exodus, skip Leviticus, which would be a joy for many of you, I'm sure. 
skip Deuteronomy, go to Numbers, go to Joshua, you would understand what the story is, and you would see that Deuteronomy and Leviticus and other books are just adding light, adding greater color to the story that's told in those 11 primary books. Does that make sense? Job, you'll see, is a poetical book. But as I said, the books are not arranged in chronological order, but they're grouped according to category, according to kind. Many people believe that Job was set in the context of the time in which Abraham lived. And so that's why when you read Job, you want to read it again in the context of the patriarchs, which their story is told in Genesis. So if you go to the next slide, you see that you go then to Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is the time in which David lived. David wrote most of the Psalms. So every time you read the Psalms, you want to understand the background which David uh, wrote his psalm, you'd want to understand what's happening in the story of 2 Samuel. Then you go to the next slide, and this is where the prophets fit in. The nation of Israel, there's a long history here, but there's a, and the nation of Israel is once united, and it's called Israel. Later, in 1 Kings, the nation divides. Okay, now follow me on this. The nation is all, uh, is once uh, united. There is a civil war, if you will, after Solomon's death. And the nation divides into two kingdoms, one in the north, one in the south. The nation in the north retains the name Israel. The nation in the south takes on the name Judah. Okay, so now you have God's people are divided in first Kings. They are divided. You see this division. Then what ends up happening is in second Kings is at the end of the book, these two nations, first Israel in the north, are overrun by a foreign king, a foreign nation called Assyria. The, north, the southern nation, Judah, is eventually overrun by a nation called Babylon, led by a man named Nebuchadnezzar. So the role of the prophets, with all that history, which you all are probably looking at me like, man, is all seven weeks going to be like this? But it's important that you understand the role of the prophets was threefold. You had the prophets who wrote before these foreign invaders came, and they were known as the pre-exilic prophets. That is Isaiah and Jeremiah, and then Hosea through Zephaniah. You see that they wrote during the time of the second kings, of second kings. Then there's this period called the exile. What happens to God's people when Assyria overthrows Israel, what happens to God's people when Babylon overthrows Judah? Does God speak to them in their captivity? Does God care anymore? What about God's promises to his people? Well, God sent exilic prophets. That's just a simple way of saying, or a clever way of saying, prophets who wrote during the time of the exile. There were two of them. And you can see there is Ezekiel and Daniel. We just studied Daniel. We, we talked last uh, time, our time together about Daniel and his role and when he lived and, and how uh, he remained true to God's word. 
despite the fact that he was living in a foreign land. And then God, in his goodness and his grace, allows the Israelites to return home. And then you have the third set of prophets, which are known as the post-exilic prophets. Those are the prophets, then, who come and remind the nation of Israel who they are supposed to represent. So the prophets fit in one of three categories, time-wise. And if you'll look at the next slide, you see that their major prophets are Isaiah through Daniel, and then the minor prophets are Hosea through Malachi. Now, the major prophets are called major simply because they're longer. It's not because their message is any more important. And then you have the minor prophets, just shorter works. Those are the, what we're going to look at over the next seven weeks. But Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel are the major prophets. Isaiah, through Lamentations, wrote before the exile, warning the people, if you don't repent, if you don't obey God's word, what's going to happen is, is there's going to be a foreign nation, and they're going to overtake you. Listen to God's word. I'm just telling you, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. That wasn't a popular message then, and it's not a popular message now. And when that message is given today, people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. And guess what? That's exactly what happened then. Judgment is coming. There is a God. He wants to live in relationship with you. Receive Him. Come to know Him. But the people did this. And so just as God promised, and just as the prophets forewarned, Assyria came, Babylon came, and took captive God's people. The exilic prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel. The minor prophets, Hosea through Zephaniah, those are pre-exilic. And then Haggai through Malachi, those are the folks who wrote after the time of the exile. Alright? So, your Bible is not arranged in chronological order. It is grouped by categories. And your prophets wrote in a specific time, in a specific context. And it's important that you understand when each prophet wrote so that you can understand its message. So the next slide shows you this is the chronological order. And today we're looking at Joel. And there's some debate as to when Joel wrote. But many people believe that he wrote before the exile. He warned of the coming judgment that was to come. It's worth writing down Exodus 19.6 and looking at that as a group. Exodus 19.6 describes God's purpose for the nation of Israel. He wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. Now what he's saying there, he's not wanting them to be a kingdom of people who wear a funny outfit, right? And a different collar. What he's wanting them to be is his representatives as a nation. So that when all the other nations of the earth look at the nation of Israel and they wonder, hey, why do you eat the food that you eat? Why do you choose not to eat certain foods? Why do you dress the way you do? Why do you marry the way you do? Why do you live the way you do? How do you receive all these blessings? They were to respond. It's not because of our intellect. It's not because of our strength. It's not because of our military might. It is simply because of the God in whom we serve. We know the one true God, and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's what God intended to do with Israel. And he gave them the law. 
So they would learn what does it look like to live in relationship with him. But the people spurned the law. They were quick to receive the Lord's blessings, but they didn't want to then live according to his will. And the role of the prophets was to call them back. Hey, the God's intention for you is to be a kingdom of priests. God's intention for you is to be light and salt in the world. It's not really any different than it is for you and me. That God desires to use you. God desires to use me today in such a way that men may see how we live, right, Matthew 5, and give glory to God in heaven because of our good works. And God intended to work through a nation then, just as he's working through the church today. So there is the order in which the prophets appear in Scripture, but then there's the order in which they actually wrote chronologically. So let's look at Joel and figure out a little bit more about what he wrote about. Joel, his name literally means Yahweh is God. Yahweh, the Lord, his covenant name, he is God. He wrote before the exile, as I explained earlier. Some of the people debate as to exactly when, but more than likely it was before the exile. And his job was to call the southern nation, Judah, to repentance. They continued to spurn God's um, word. They continued to ignore his prophets. And Joel wrote to say, hey, let me just tell you, trouble is coming. Let me remind you who you are. And with each of these books, what we want to do is we want to provide you with an image. So that when you think Joel, the image I want you to think of is a locust. And you'll see why here in just a second. The key verses are chapter 2, verse 11, and verses 28 through 29. The New Testament actually refers to Joel on a number of occasions and quotes it. And the key phrase for the book of Joel is the day of the Lord, a theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. But is certainly key to Joel. So when you think Joel, think locusts and day of the Lord. Why? Well, this is how the book is outlined. In chapter 1, it focuses on the immediate day of the Lord. In chapter 2, it focuses on the imminent day of the Lord. This is what is coming. It is near. And then finally, in chapter 3, it focuses on the ultimate day of the Lord. In other words, the near day of the Lord the immediate day of the Lord and the imminent are just a foreshadowing of something much greater that is to come. Now, what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is an act of divine judgment on either Israel or her enemies. It's when God intervenes and when he judges the nations. But it is only a foreshadowing to what is what we refer to and what Scripture at the end of our Bibles speaks of the ultimate day of the Lord. And that is distant, and that is something we still wait on. It's the final day of judgment upon all the nations of the earth and the fulfillment of his promised blessings on Israel. You see, the Bible is made up of 66 books, but it's all one book. It tells all tells one story. 
The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And you cannot understand your New Testament if you don't understand the story of the Old. You can't understand end times and all that Revelation speaks of, which everyone gets excited about, unless you understand prophecies like the prophet Joel. Because he speaks of this day that is to come. And Revelation shows us that what God promised to the nation of Israel is ultimately going to be fulfilled at the end time. So the day of the Lord is an act of divine judgment when he intervenes and he judges the nations. And it's just a precursor, a foreshadowing of how he will ultimately do that. And when he would judge all the nations of the earth. But it's not just his judgment, it is also his fulfillment of his promises. So when you think day of the Lord, most of us think gloom and doom and the apocalypse. But it's also the time in which he says, hey gang, I'm going to establish my kingdom, my throne, and show and prove to the world just who I am. And who my son is, and he is going to reign in fulfillment of what I promised Abraham and David and all the prophets. The day of the Lord is when God comes through again. The day of the Lord is when we re- it, God removes any doubt as to who he is. And whether or not he's faithful. And Joel spoke of the day of the Lord. Now in Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30. Just write that down. Deuteronomy 28 through 30. It would be worth your reading. Moses gathers all the people in Deuteronomy. He takes this new generation and he says to them, he says, listen, let me tell you where you've come from. Let me review, review for you the history, your history as a people. Then he gives them the law and he says, this is the law which you've got to obey. And then he calls them to obedience. He sets up a challenge for them and says, hey, this is what God expects of you. And then he tells them, if you obey, there'll be great prosperity and success. But if you disobey, trust me, trouble's coming. And he is very specific. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. Next slide. It says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Verse 36, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. And you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. Verse 38, you shall carry much seed into the field and gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine or gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil, for your olives shall drop off. So this is Moses long before Joel writes, warning the people, hey, if you disobey God's word, trust me, foreign nations going to come and overtake you. Locusts are going to plague you. Now fast forward. Now we're at the time of Joel. The people aren't listening to the prophets of God. Joel shows up and he reminds them of what God promised through Moses. 
Because what happens is, there is, in chapter 1, a natural disaster. Locusts show up, and they devour the crops of the field. And so we see in chapter 1, verse 4, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Joel 1, verse 4. It's a picture of complete destruction. And Joel, knowing the promise of God through Moses, sees this and says, Hey, this is a warning to us. And so he speaks to the nation of Israel and he goes, you see what God has done right here? You see the locust that was spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 28? This is a warning to us of something greater that's to come. God said not only locusts would come, but something much bigger would come. And it would be a foreign nation. And that nation is on the march. And so what he does is he looks at the locusts and he says, hey, just as the locusts have swarmed and destroyed our crops, trust me. This foreign nation's coming, and they will swarm, and they will devour us. And so you see in chapter 2, verse 6 through 9, it says, Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their path. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst forth through, with weapons. And are not stopped. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. And what he's saying here in chapter 2 is, just like he did in chapter 1, chapter 1, the locusts couldn't be stopped in chapter 2. Guess what? This swarming army, not even the walls, not even the windows will shut them out. Nation of Israel, listen. Listen to the warning. And repent. Give God your heart. See what he's saying. He's looking for a faithful people. And he cannot continue to overlook your sin and your idolatry and your rebellion. So repent. Trust in him. So chapter 1 speaks of that imminent time of tragedy, that day of the Lord, where God uses locusts to to grab the attention of his people. Chapter 2 speaks of that immediate day of the Lord, what is coming. It is on the horizon, a foreign nation. It's on the march. And in between there, in chapter 1 and 2, you see this great call to repent. Repent. Trust God. Look at verse 12 and 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And He relents over disaster. You see, Joel is concerned about their hearts. God's concerned about their hearts. And He wants them to turn to Him in a heartfelt confession and repentance. Not a rote religious practice that's thoughtless and routine. He's begging for them to return to the Lord. And gang, the same thing is true today. Where God calls us through His Spirit, through the communication of His Word, where He says, hey, you you are continuing to ignore me. 
When I offer life to you, you, you despise. My word is here not to rob you, but to set you free. But what we tend to do is, hey God, I've got it. I've got it. I don't want to hear the message of the prophet. I don't want community in my life. And we just live like this. And God goes, hey, trouble is coming. Trouble's coming. Trust me. Know that I love you. I'm not looking to rip you off, but provide you with abundant life. Repent. In your groups today, I would love for you just to discuss a few questions that are both found in your book and that also I sent to your leaders um, uh, yesterday. But the heart of this lesson, gang, is about the nature of repentance. And what God is doing even this morning and today to capture our hearts, our attention. And my prayer for us over these next seven weeks would be that we would be a people who would respond. We would be a people who would be humble. That we'd hear God's word, that we would dig in to what these prophets are trying to communicate and see that it's not just a message for yesterday, but it's a message that's applicable for today. Let me pray for us. Well, Father in heaven, Joel offers us uh, much to consider. And Father, I thank you that you spoke in a clear, uh, compelling way to capture the hearts of your people. And how you used what was happening um, in their lives, Lord, to, to communicate a much bigger truth. And I pray, Father, that you would capture our hearts the circumstances we find ourselves in. And allow us to return to you, Lord. To give you, Father, uh, the best of our days, all of our strength. And, um, and, Father, to be mindful of your promises. Thank you, Lord, that there is going to be a day where you will ultimately fulfill all of your promises to the nation of Israel. And to us, a day in which your son will return and to prove himself once and for all faithful to all of your promises from Genesis through Revelation. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.